This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, Indigenous scholar-activist Melissa Nelson and Zen teacher Wendy Johnson discuss traditional ecological knowledge. The conversation was recorded in front of a live audience in San Francisco on December 7, 2016. Shikia, Bujun and Dinoy Maganatuk, Melissa Nelson and Dijani Kaz, Mokunzi Gabawi, Kidashnin Dugo, Nin Anishnabe Michif, Ikwe, Mikinak Waji Wing, Turtle Mountain Chippewa, Nindunji Ba, Nin Piju Do Dame, Miu, Miguich. I said greetings, relatives, in the language of my mother, uh, Cree and Anishinaabe, or Ojibwe, or Chippewa. We have many different names. Uh, I said I was an Anishinaabe Michif, or Métis, mixed-race woman, uh, proud member of the Turtle Mountain Chippewa Nation, also proud member of the Lynx Clan, and I'm happy to be here with all of you this evening. Thank you for coming out on a rainy night and uh, being with us in conversation. Thank you so much. Good. Good evening. I am very happy to be here. My name is Wendy Johnson. Um, Particularly, I would want you to know tonight that um, this is a very important time in the life of meditators around the world. Um, The almost final night of a seven-day gathering of meditation, and I'm feeling very close to this community of meditators that span the globe, sitting um, for the benefit of all beings, and particularly to acknowledge the importance of waking up. This is the awakening sashin, or the rohatsu sashin, seven full days of deep meditation. And I must say, I'm feeling my identity very strongly in this uh, lineage, and very privileged to be with you tonight, and also to feel the pulse beat of many who are sitting still and looking deeply into both the darkness and the light. So thank you very much for making this evening possible. And we wanted to have an informal uh, conversation with you this evening, first with each other, talking about what it means to us listening to the land. And uh, that also brings up the, the point that to listen to the land, we need to orient. And orientation is really a key teaching from my indigenous teachings and from Wendy's Buddhist teachings. And uh, for us, from the Anishinaabe or the Ojibwe people, Um, You probably have heard the number seven is very sacred. Uh, And for us, orientation is is quite literal, quite visceral. So wherever you are, there you are, wherever you are on the planet, uh, it's important to just orient and connect to place, connect to space, connect to time. And so we do that by honoring the four directions and the seven directions. And so we start by looking at the north and the south. Uh, Everyone knows where's north? This way, south, pretty much this way. And then the east, the rising of the sun uh, in this direction, and then west, the great mighty Pacific Ocean uh, to our west. And then as above, so below. Uh, We look up to the skies, to the cosmos, to the heavens. Uh, We look down deep with our roots into the heart of Mother Earth, listening to the pulse and heartbeat of Mother Earth. Uh, And then the seventh direction is within. 
looking within the inner ecology, the inner landscape, uh, the great mystery, as we call it, Gichimanado, uh, the place to listen for, for stillness. And that's a place that uh, is very mysterious and very important. And a lot of the work that we do is balancing and trying to balance, not so successfully, <laughs> the inner and the outer worlds. Right. And we know that's something the community of CIIS is very much committed to as well. So those seven orientations are a way to just ground ourselves, to settle ourselves. And I'd like to ask Wendy if you want to just lead us in a simple meditation or prayerful moment. You know, it's, it's beautiful to hear about the Anishinaabe tradition because in the Buddhist world there is also um, the, the practice of orienting, of and the beautiful statement from the 13th century, when you find your place where you are, practice occurs. Mm -hmm. So find your place where you are and let practice occur. And it's, it's very similar. We speak of 10 directions, right. a little bit, a little bit, you know, a little bit more numer <laughs> numerologically, but not in, in, the, in the spirit. Very much the same, turning toward the east and recognizing the rising of light. So turning toward the east and directing the heart and mind to uh, the rising of the light, to feeling the breath of beginning. And, um, and of course, turning toward the east will very naturally coordinate with the springtime of the year or the, the coming up of the breath of awareness. And in particular, in the, in the, um, in the world of practice in which I've been trained, um, asking one of the bodhisattvas, the awakening beings, to give us strength and to remind us of what it means to turn toward the light and to feel that upwelling and uprising of light. And that's um, the, the bodhisattva of deep seeing and looking across world systems both inside and out. So mm -hmm. calling on um, the mind of awakening and that particular guardian. And then there mm -hmm. are animal guardians and there are elemental guardians. It's very beautiful mm -hmm. to be able to, to celebrate in that way. And then moving around the compass, turning in a great circle to face the south. Shining practice. Practice the shining practice for all beings. And that element, the, the element of fire, the fire of intention and shining practice or service. Perfect service coordinating with turning towards south, high noon, um, and the bright uh, intention of practicing you no know, matter what, lifetime after lifetime. Mm -hmm. And moving around to face the west and to welcome the darkness, to welcome the unknown, to welcome the depths of water, to welcome the willingness to go down into hell and be refreshed and, and find yourself and not be separated from the hell realm. So the guardian of that realm is the, pre the protector of children and travelers, so the womb mm. store, earth store of the consciousness of the, of the world or the womb of the earth. So that's um, the guardian of children and travelers. So we turn out, we don't worship those bodhisattvas. They remind us of the, what it means to be human when we find our place in Orient. And then last of all, north, celebrating the deep earth, quiet, the dark, all the animals that go into the earth and hibernate and come out fresh. And it's a beautiful practice um, to do. And I remember many, many years ago, um, His Holiness the, da the Dalai Lama really encouraged us, can you not spend one day where you find a fresh orientation to these directions? So just listen, I hadn't even thought to mention this, but just listening to what you said reminded me of that practice of standing where you are 
and turning toward the directions. And then there are ways to coordinate with the living ground and with the elements too. And for us, listening to the land is a, it's a practice, right? Right, and it takes a lot of um, awareness and uh, openness. And listening, it's not just an act of listening. We love listening to you, to voices, to song, to music, to ocean waves, to wind. Um, but the whole act of interaction with the natural world is deeply sensuous, right? Deeply sensuous. It's tasting the land. And both of us being earth, earth lovers, yeah. We, yeah, we look down yeah. a lot. A lot of people like to look up. Yeah. or look far, but we like to look near what's really right beneath us. Yeah. And um, right here in, in downtown San Francisco, Market Street, yeah. there were shell mounds mm. all over this okay. area. And shell mounds uh, are considered sacred sites, sacred landscapes of uh, most coastal indigenous peoples, especially here in the Bay. The whole rim of the beautiful San Francisco Bay was dotted with massive large shell mounds. Many people may know in Emeryville, they were multi-story high shell mounds. Sadly, most of them were destroyed and, and desecrated, and then they named it Shell Mound Avenue and put up parking lots and shopping malls. So, um, but looking down, there's still remnants of those shells, of those ancestors, the abalone and the California mussel and the oysters uh, that fed uh, generations and generations of Ohlone people on this land. And they built layers and layers of these beautiful mounds, not as garbage dump sites or um, you know refuse piles as anthropologists label them, but as sacred markers of their territory. And you can see all the different relatives of the coastal landscape, all the beautiful seafood and shellfish that they ate and that nurtured them. And they also laid in other artifacts. Um, bird bone whistles have been found, eagle bone whistles, and other beautiful cultural treasures in these shell mounds. And they were so revered as a matrix of culture, a matrix of that nexus of the landscape and of human uh, ingenuity, uh, that they laid their most revered chiefs and, and chiefesses and, and priestesses in these beautiful shell mounds. Mm -hmm. So they're burial sites as well. And um, they would adorn them with the abalone and the clam beads and the olivella shells. And these were places of great reverence and sanctuary and san you know, sacredness. And so uh, there's just a few remnants left of these shell mounds. And the West Berkeley shell mound is one of the last remnants mm -hmm. um, that has been underneath the mm -hmm. Spanglers, what is it, that seafood place, mm -hmm. ironically, oh. the 4th Street um, shopping area um, and under the freeway. But there's a new development project that wants to excavate and um, would remove many of the human remains there, the, the ancestors buried there. So we are on burial grounds almost all the time. And so digging in the earth is right. a very courageous act. Right. A very yeah. courageous act yeah. when you dig in the earth and have the courage to, to plant a seed, knowing that it's the bones of our ancestors. It requires a lot of reverence. Yeah. Yeah.
and, and to feel that um, real food, you know, there's a beautiful, um, many years ago at the Zen Center, um, a 13-year-old uh, boy named Hans came with his mother to, um, to Green Gulch Farms Zen Center. She, was, she wanted to practice meditation, so she sent Hans to the kitchen. And um, he was, I remember him sitting on a stool. He had long, kind of long legs, a kind of gangly young man. And, and we, um, he smelled the bread coming out of the oven, bread that was made from um, just all the old grains and kind of wholesome, you know, thick mm -hmm. bread. And he said, that smells good. And we, so we broke off a piece of hot bread. And um, I remember this child from Minnesota taking a taste of that bread. And he said, this bread is real is this is real food not a ghost mm. that was his his experience not a ghost and we live so often like ghosts um you know not not fully able to sink down to take to take the opportunity and the time to really feel the ghost world or the world underneath the world and to taste it to really taste it. So to imagine the layers of humanity and more and more than human world that make up who we are. And, and anytime you open the ground, deep, you know, deep ground, no matter where the ground is, and, and um, come into connection with the ground, there is the opportunity to feel to feel the long story of um, of the place where we live. And the story now in the Bay Area is a particularly strong, vivid, and painful story, too, because so many people, because of causes and conditions that are complicated, so many of us are separated from the opportunity to just come home to the ground and ground ourselves. Grund, um, meaning um, there's a fish called the grunding mm -hmm. fish, which is a bottom-feeding fish, it swims on the very bottom of the ocean and feeds at the, very, at the baseline of the world and is renewed and refreshed from. So to ground, to come down to the ground, to, um, to ground, to grind down and be ground down by the ground, mm -hmm. uh, to let it grind us down so that we can taste the grit of what it means to be alive and to, and to have the, the deep pleasure and honor to celebrate food that comes from those deaths, real food, not ghost food. And that is an opportunity that is so, with all the richness and opportunity of this place, still an opportunity that many, many people do not have access to good ground and to the food that comes out of it. Mm -hmm. So when, mm -hmm. when I um, bend down and have the privilege to open the ground or be opened by the ground, I always think of the many people, many beings who may not have Access. I wish I'd brought a bowl of earth. That was mm. careless and disembodied. <laughs> um, but we didn't anyway. So you the earth is imagine in the ground you're us. made of, because we are made of the of the soil <laughs> that um, that brings forth the food that we eat. Um, and you know, it's it's so important to begin by when you're listening to the land. Begin by orienting. Find your place where you are. And you find a very big gyre. I think of you sometimes as a, you know, just a, um, a wild bird sw swinging in a big wide gyre, overlooking all of the land, remembering that the world is bigger than, than what we're actually orienting to. But at some point, we will come down and ground 
in the in the living earth, and that is so fundamentally important. Fundamentally important. <laughs> These are all words that fundus means. Fundus is the same as bottom or ass or anus. <laughs> put the, put, sit down, be quiet, and, and, and find your ground. Hold your ground. Stand your ground. And share your ground. This, is, this good ground of this area is not, we don't have enough opportunity to share it and be in communion mm. with it. So and that's what's really coming up tonight for me. I'm thinking the, this particular seven-day time is a time of making the commitment to sit still for seven days, come down to the ground, to grind yourself down, and remember, remember where you come from, remember the causes and conditions that make life possible. So, um, so we be, maybe begin with orienting, finding your directions. I, I know our friend Malcolm Margolin says, remember the great mountains of the Bay Area. When you turn to the east, you turn, and I love, when, turn to the east and call up Mount Diablo. And, and, and I don't know the original name of Mount mm. Diablo, but. There's a few different. Yeah, I bet. yeah. Almost any time something's called devil, yeah. it was then we get happy. Important, right? yeah, yeah. Native sacred site. Yeah. The, the early Christian colonists were like, <gasps> devil. There's you know ritual ceremony people having you know pagan yeah. rituals, so it's devilish. Uh, one interpretation I've heard from the Bay Miwok is that um, Mount Diablo is the the place where the little animals play. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So turning, turning, if, if the mind of awakening comes in from the ground of the place where little animals play and where the devil is alive in every detail. <laughs> and then we swinging to the south and looking at Mount Hamilton in the South Bay. And certainly that has some wonderful name oh, and tradition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know that one. Yeah. They're all Ohlone sites, but yeah. there was eight all... different Ohlone bands and languages uh, with different creation stories. Oh but gosh. all the mountains I know have significance because most of their creation stories, like many, there was a great flood. Mm. And there was just a little tip of a mountain. So I know Mount Diablo oh. played that role for some. Wow. Mount Hamilton, um, Mount Tamalpais. Mount Tamalpais in the west, West Hill, the mountain. Mm -hmm. We live on, I live on the ocean side and you and Colin and live and on the east, on the east side. side, on the east mm -hmm. flank of West Hill, of that mm -hmm. beautiful mountain facing, facing the dark, facing the willingness to go down into hell with all beings and not come back until it's really time, and not forget. And then in the north, um, well, what would be the northern mountain? There, uh, probably... Uh, Kanaktai, maybe, yes. all the way up, the volcanic yeah. by Lake County, it, I think. It's definitely the volcanic mm -hmm. mountains. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so, so then there's an opportunity, if we lose our orientation, and or, orientation's all about losing your orientation. You get too oriented, you are deadly and, and uh, <laughs> stiff. I think too much meditation makes you that way, too. Believe it, I've got a stiff neck from meditating. <laughs> so, so you just, uh, there's a different call that we want to listen to. So we orient in order to lose our orientation and to come back fresh. We ground in order to remember the ground underneath the ground. And then what, what about nurturance? Because it's so much been the work that you've been doing, finding real, mm. real nurture and nutrition and, mm. and uh, just food. And of course, 
the, where you can hear orientation, you find the breath of the place where you are, ground, you find the earth element, you know, that deep, sensual, earthen, grounded, gritty self. And nurturance, what about that? What? Wow, nurturance, such a beautiful word yeah. and such an important aspect of um, the work that we do. Yeah. I mean, the earth nurtures me yes. every day um, very deeply. Um, the breath, the, the sky. Um, I live in trees, <laughs> uh, so I'm very, very blessed by that. And the work I do as an educator and um, activist uh, with the Cultural Conservancy is to learn new ways to nurture ourselves, our communities, nurture the land, a lot with young people. And I think really think of all the work you've done to protect the waters. And then the, the water is life, the call mm. from Standing Rock reminding us of the, the of and that we're so much made of water ourselves. Exactly. So that's been so key. I, I grew up on the Eel River in Mendocino County, so I think that's a big part of why water and fresh water in particular is yeah. so precious to me because that, that river really saved my life as a child. Mm. And um, water saves all of our lives every yeah. day. Yeah. And, um, you know, on a political level, people call it already blue gold. It's going to be the next, you know, gold rush, um, blue gold rush. It's already happening with threats, privatization of our fresh water. It's the most endangered resource. And uh, no water, no life. Yeah. And, um, you know, food is our medicine, and water is our first food. Yeah. So water is medicine. Right. And I remember being a little starry-eyed as a youth going to, you know, very traditional ceremonies and thinking there was going to be some, you know, I don't know, expectations. Mm. And then it's just so common, um, you know, going to an elder's home in the Taos Pueblo or Standing Rock mm. or, you know, Turtlemont Chippewa or Shumash. And, you know, one of the most sacred acts someone can do for you is give you a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> and to actually really feel that and see that and know that you know, this is such a magical substance that connects us all for good or for bad. You know? And now with all the environmental pollutants in our water and environmental racism going on with indigenous communities, communities of color, I mean, the water is so, so special and we've treated it like dirt. We've treated dirt like dirt. We've desecrated it. We've disrespected it. So, so much of the work I try to do is, you know, honor the waters in my own body, um, honor the waters where I live, um, and honor the water guardian tradition, the, the protectors of the water tradition that yeah. is happening in the world today. This has been so beautiful. Just say a little bit more about that work you've done, particularly with young people, and just and then how it connects so deeply with with the prayers and the protection prayers from Absolutely. Standing Rock and in a widening circle. Just yeah, I mean, I started listening to um, my elders and our youth and communities um, really close to a decade ago, mm -hmm. and a lot of our partners from the islands, both interestingly <laughs> the deserts and the islands. Um, in the deserts, in the pueblos, where they often get three or four inches of rain a year. And they water is so precious, and they grow beautiful food crops with hardly any water. It's incredible. 
And then you go to places like Hawaii, the most <laughs> isolated islands in the world, surrounded by half the planet, over half the planet, the mighty Pacific Ocean, and they, they talk about water all the time and how precious water is. On the wettest place you know, in the world, in Kauai, you know, 15 feet of water oh a God. year oh compared to three inches in Hopi. So you look at that contrast, and yet the preciousness, the sacredness, the importance of water is is equal, the yeah. same from yeah. indigenous traditions. Yeah. So there are these water guardian traditions, mm. and um, our Pacific Islander people were just acknowledging mm. how important that is. And uh, we listened at Cultural Conservancy and uh, developed a Guardians of the Waters program to really look at how do we honor indigenous water consciousness and have us revitalize and renew a sacred connection to water wherever we are. And do that through the canoes, because canoes are sacred vessels um, for traveling on water that all cultures have used. Wow. And so there's a massive global um, tribal canoe revitalization movement happening. The Hawaiians have the Hokulea, the, the Star of Gladness, traveling around the world right now in ocean voyaging canoes based on traditional navigation and wayfinding with a message of peace and unity amongst all people and uh, malama honua, mm. take care of the earth. That's the whole message. Take care of the earth. Um, take care of the waters. I, I remember on one of the people that you work with in the Cultural Conservancy saying you navigate always with a sense of home. That's you right. You carry within your body, on the waters, it's seemingly vast and Uncharted waters always carry the star of home in your heart. Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And navigation is all in your body. It's it's your hands, it's your eyes, and it's connecting to the stars and to the waters. Yeah. So we started relearning some of the navigational, traditional navigational um, techniques and skills. And then here with our beloved colleague and friend, Nicola Wagenberg, developing a youth program dedicated to the guardians of the waters and uh, urban intertribal youth who are really hungry for this reconnection to ancestral lands and ancestral waters and places. Mm -hmm. So again, we look at the tradition of ancestral waters. Where do your waters come from? That's actually the way the Maori people greet each other. When they say hello, they don't just say where you're from. They say, what waters are you from? Well, of course, they're ocean people. So what waters are you from? And you name your sacred rivers, your sacred lakes, wow. your sacred oceans, the canoes that you came on. They're all migratory people. Um, but native people all over the world are that way. What sacred waters and sacred mountains do you come from? And what sacred seeds do you come from? Wow. Quite literally and genetically, like John Trudell says, your real DNA, your descendants and ancestors, and reclaiming all of that. Um, we're all, most, all of us these days, mixed, mixed race, like these ears of corn. <laughs> we have a little red, little indigenous, little white, European, little African, little black, little you know, Asian. Um, and as uh, Greg Cajete says, we're all kernels on the same cob. Mm. <laughs> Even though we're all mixed and come from different areas, and as I learned from the science of corn pollination, right. from sexy stuff from right. Wendy, it is. each kernel comes from a different male sperm. That's correct. 
Every single one has a different father. And it's the silk that conveys. That's why they're all different. That conveys the and pollen. And the silk, it travels down the silk. And no pollen, no two pollen grains are the same. That's right. No two pollen grains are the same. Here's Colin <laughs> sitting here. If we could remember that. And, and they're made of water. Animated yes. water. Yeah. So being protectors of the waters, we've seen so fiercely so heroically, heroically with Standing Rock um, is, is really what we need to be doing. We can't sit back and, and see our, our waters continue to be contaminated. We're, we're just at a place where we can't do that anymore. And so for, without um, making, making this generic or metaphorical, the confluence of the cannonball and the Missouri runs through every landscape and through every heart. And so um, I don't want to generalize in general. We say in the, in, the, in the farming world, in general, everything is specific. Get it? <laughs> Genus, species, get it? Anyway, in general, every, every river is specific to the place, to the stone, to the water, to the, to the wind, to the, to the lay of the land. This is a sensual business that we're talking about, knowing, knowing in every way. Exactly. Yeah. I'm reminded of David Abrams' work, I'm sure many people are familiar with, The Spell of the Sensuous, yeah. such a great title and such yeah. a great teaching. Yeah. And it takes um, getting naked, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Yeah. We've got to strip down so much of the conditioning yeah. um, that is placed on us to not connect and not be intimate yeah. with the natural world to denigrate it, to think we're better, yeah. even though we're made of it. Yeah. It's, such a, it's such a mental trap. Right. Yeah. And yet our human bodies, we are animals. We want it. Right. <laughs> we, we love being near bodies of water. We right. love being in the Craving water. the water. We crave yeah. the water. Yeah. We crave good food. Do you, do you remember when um, at Indian Valley... We were visited by Roxanne Swenzel, who's mm -hmm. an extraordinary artist. It's so great to talk about artists and art here yeah. at CIIS because you feel surrounded by it. this we're surrounded very by this, ooh, interesting, by white fascinating, <laughs> extraordinary <laughs> art. Yes. At our back. Yes, and size. Yeah. And your front, you're facing it where it's, a, it's behind us. But anyway, Roxanne visited us from, um, she's of uh, Tewa, a woman from Santa Clara Pueblo in, um, in, uh, in, in northern New Mexico and uh, we were talking about the land and sa we said to her oh it's just we've been really suffering from drought here in California and she said I want to assure you that this is not a drought <laughs> yeah. you know and she said where every drop of water is so precious in the, in the high desert mm -hmm. and every drop of water is cherished and, uh, and celebrated So we make an, so um, if we make uh, the or give ourselves the opportunity in listening to the land, begin by finding a way to orient and then to ground in that orientation, to ground exactly where you're standing, to find what nurtures you, and then how do you what what's the what's the the mm. next step? I mean, we've talked about this yeah. a little bit, but. Well, the community nurtures us, yeah. finding our community, um, human and more than human. Right. And we're so blessed here in the Bay Area to have such 
open-minded, diverse, beautiful minds to find good community to nurture each other. And I think we'll need to do more of that in the coming years. Mm. But we also, um, we also nurture and then we are hungry for nourishment. Right. We're starving for right. certain types of nourishment right. that we feel we're still lacking probably. I remember um, in, in, the, um, in the beautiful issue that you um, were guest editor for of Earth Island, mm -hmm. and I have it here, I'll bring it out, mm -hmm. or maybe you have it. Um, one of us has it, oh good. Um, in this return, return yeah, to the natives, I, can you just tell us mm -hmm. a little about the wampum story? The, the, um, That's because that was story. a river, a river journey, and um, it just seems again we know this is supposed to be you know kind of connecting to the land, but land and water and, and air you can't and fire have land are connected. Water. Yeah. you can't have land without the so elements. So that story was so. Yeah, in here there's a beautiful story told by Robin Kimmerer. The, the lovely, brilliant Potawatomi botanist um, from SUNY New York, um, really well known recently for her book on braiding sweetgrass, uh, indigenous knowledge or indigenous wisdom, um, science, and the teaching of plants. Oh, and yeah. uh, she's um, Potawatomi, which is part of the Three Fires Confederacy of the Anishinaabe and the Ottawa. So we're related, we're relatives. And, uh, but she lives in Haudenosaunee territory, Six Nations territory in uh, upstate New York. And they're doing a, a reconciliation process based on the two-row wampum belt that was originally presented to uh, the English colonists by the Six Nations mm. uh, as a treaty. Um, wow. And wampum, you know, is shell. Again, back to a water being the sacredness of shells and wearing shells, the, the water beings that have so much to teach us. And these beautiful woven wampum belts has two lines in it, um, a purple shell in a, in a sea of white. And it represents the indigenous world of Turtle Island, North America, and um, the white world of Europe that came to this land as a visitor, as a settler, as a colonist. And um, the two-row wampum is a very deep teaching. Chief Warren Lyons shares it uh, publicly in many places, and it's written about, and it's written about in here, but they relived it. They reenacted it by taking two canoes, because the two lines are two canoes on the river of life. And um, the uh, Six Nations, or Haudenosaunee, are in their uh, dugout in wooden canoes uh, with their own paddles, their own designs, their own traditions. And the ship, the ship from Europe, is parallel. Mm -hmm. Even though it's larger, it's not better. It's just different. <coughs> and these canoes will travel together down the river of life as allies, um, not one trying to become the other, um, but as allies with their own sovereignty, their own integrity, and yet as allies and friends in a treaty of friendship to share the goodness of their culture and to offer and to trade. And so a group of Six Nations youth and elders and students and community leaders 
took down two canoes, um, the Haudenosaunee in one canoe and the white settler community in another. Wow. And they reenacted um, the Treaty of the Turo Wampum uh, and renewed their vows to each other. And um, the settler, Euro-American settlers, vowed to be allies to the sovereignty of the First Nations. Beautiful. An incredible act. And um, that's happening in Canada as well. Wow. A lot of the the settler cultures are identifying themselves as as settlers, mm. as um, you know, immigrants um, to come and as guests into First Nations territories, and to even learn the language and to honor the local traditions, um, but to also be very clear um, not to be uh, a wannabe, a wannabe, mm -hmm. um, not <laughs> to um, try to become what you're not. Um, but to have your own integrity and respect each other's ways. And that's really the basis of listening, to hear the, to hear the, the story within the story. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's related to another wonderful teaching of a, a Cree philosopher, Willie Ermine, who talks about the ethical space of engagement. Mm. Whenever you meet a stranger, whenever you're a guest, there's this ethical space between us that we need to establish that is that kind of silent circle, kind of like the middle of a circle here, in the middle of the spiral, um, that you need to listen to that space and create a sense of compassion and respect so that you can engage in a very deep dialogue uh, of understanding. So those two uh, canoes and those two lines, that represents the ethical space of engagement between um, between the two of right. us. Yeah, this space here between us. Right. I, I love that the, the journey happened on the Hudson River. Is that correct? Yes. Is, of course, it has an older name. Yes. But um, where the tidal surge is felt all the way from the harbor in in, uh, in New York City, around the, the harbor of that part of the world, all the way up to Albany. So it just the, the, yeah. the rising and falling of the river. And there is a tide in everything. Mm. That's how the water gets in, you know, from the That's right. from the lift and the and the from the, the rising and, and the and the and the mm. falling down. So, yeah. yeah, what a beautiful story. So mm. I know that the fourth level that we're talking about here in this little teaching um, uh, paradigm right. we are playing with yes. is transformation and fire. Yeah, yeah, and fire. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about well, you it. You know, it's, the word has always been hard for me to transform because I felt um, there's such transcendent transforming, looking looking up, looking above the world, and and rising up like smoke and 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 fire. But when I actually think about metabolism and engaging with the world and everything we say in the Buddhist world, everything obikus is burning. The eye is burning, the hand is burning, the mind is burning, the waters are burning. Everything is burning and changing and coming apart. I remember, um, so when I really think about the word transforming and I think about transformation and I think about uh, the element of fire, elemental fire, I, I, I remember um, Joanna Macy, who's been a real guide and teacher for me and, and friend, deep Dharma friend and sister, um, Many years ago, she said that when she and Fran were first married, um, they were married by a preacher, um, a southern preacher, who said um, to them, I only have one wish for you. He said that every morning when you see each other, you'll see each other as strangers. 
Everything <laughs> you've known about each other will have burned up and mm. been, you'll shine by perishing. He said, just like he calling, and he was a, he was a preacher who called during the, um, during the uh, integration and segregation struggles in the South and calling the congregation together and saying, be like fire, shine by perishing. Everything shines by perishing. So when I think of transformation, I think of the willingness to shine and perish and to be changed. And you know, when Joanna did her mm. thesis, which happened in mm. Syracuse, in mm. the heart of the Haudenosaunee, mm -hmm. she, she did a beautiful thesis on um, causes, causes and conditions, cause and condition. And um, in, that, in that thesis, she focused on two primary elements in the world of um, the natural world, the tree representing interconnectedness and the flame representing mm. change. And the opportunity mm -hmm. to burn or to to uh, to shine by perishing in, in the natural world, um, the fiery part of a plant is the seed. You, mm -hmm. you the seed you eat the seed and there's encapsulated life in that seed, and the seed explodes into metabolism into into the flame of your intention. This is not vague for me. It's my hands are sweating. Yeah. I feel it, <laughs> the, fi the fire of intention. So mm. transcendence, I don't want to get away from the world. I want to burn in this world and shine by perishing, shine by perishing by, by letting go of some of my old ideas. And that does complete a kind of circle. Mm. And it is the work of metabolism to burn, up, to burn up all the food that you're privileged to be able to enjoy and to, and to serve. But you are a very fiery being. So what do you say <laughs> oh. about fire? Oh, I'm lost in the in the imaginative um, realm of a seed breaking through that hard shell. Yeah, yeah. That it has to really. It's a, it is a destructive act, yeah. and it's a double act down, down to the ground and then and up, up and burn. And yeah, and the roots often through rock and yeah. so many obstacles and yeah. roots to just yeah. dig down and then to keep going up. And that double gravity, if you will, yeah. gravity and reverse gravity. Yeah. And so that's such an important teaching, like the spine, as you talked about earlier. And as above, so below, the, yeah. the up and the down at the same time, and how the seeds are such teachers for that, for not only listening to the land, but, but diving deep into the land. Yeah. And we have a teaching uh, called an earth diver, mm. the Ojibwe. The, oh. um, the earth diver is a very, very... Uh, special being in our tribe. Too much to go into right now, but it's related to our creation story and many creation stories of North America and the world where there was nothing but a, a sea of water and um, the animals had to dive deep down to grab a little little bit of mud at mm -hmm. the bottom of the ocean and to place it on turtle's back um, to create Turtle Island. So the earth diver is a really important... Um, grounding, going ground down. The bottom of the ground. That's right. To come back up yeah. again with yeah. fresh life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it takes a lot. A lot of creatures perish, drowned, going down because yeah. the depth of the waters are so so vast. Right. So the earth diver tradition is a kind of an icon or a symbol or a metaphor um, for consciousness as well. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's literal and it's very metaphorical. So bring up the ground so the seed can grow. That's and, right. And transformation and life can, can grow. Yeah. yeah. But you have to let go of things right. and able to to get down low enough to to pull up that yeah. the, that earth. Yeah. Yeah. 
And these are primary, primary images too in general living systems, the interconnectedness of life and then also the, the, the metabolism or the burning up and changing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. so fire is so key. And you know, this whole area would have been um, intentionally set with fires as a way to purify, as a way to clean the land. And sadly, um, there's been so much fire suppression. Um, again, this pyro, you know, phobia, this fear of mm -hmm. fire, because it's related to the devil and to, you know, destruction. Alchemy. Yeah, yeah. alchemy. Danger. And danger, um, hell. That uh, the indigenous resource management act of using fire as an environmental management tool has been completely suppressed and has led to this decadent um, growth, overgrowth of our forests that leads to these devastating destructive fires that are really wreaking havoc in the West and all over um, certainly North America that I'm aware of up in Alberta over the summer, massive fires um, that destroy everything, whereas small scale controlled burns actually help clean the land. Mm. They return nutrients to the soil. They get rid yeah. of pests and yeah. insects or infestations. They open seeds that have been dormant for a very long right. time. Uh, they create open land for new animals to come in. So fire, again, is a cleansing. It's a purifying. It's um, a renewing aspect. If done, it's scale. Yeah. Fire, the scale is important with yeah. fire, as we know. Too oh. much of it is very, very destructive. Yeah. And, and we sit here, we go back again to the fire in Oakland and the ghost ship and yeah. the fire of creativity in that group yeah. of human beings. Yeah. That's why it's hard to talk about yeah. transformation without sounding really easy, like pretty easy for you to talk about. Yeah. But, yeah. but there is a refiner's fire, the, pure, the fire purifies too. Yeah. I know I'm the mother of a, um, a, a surfer and, uh, and a fire, fire um, my son is a fire captain. He's been in the fire service for most, well, let's see, he's 38. He's been, since he was 18, he's been on the front lines, drawn to fire and to water. And he said, but Mom, we haven't seen anything like what happened in Oakland. He won't even talk about it. <coughs> so fire is also dangerous, right, Melissa? And, so dangerous. And, um, and no, no bargaining. No bargaining with fire. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, you know, um, I know we wanted to talk about orienting and grounding and um, finding real nurturance and, and also... Um, to look to end with um, the fire element, because our friend and teacher, jo um, our friend and teacher Mary Evelyn Tucker, has mm -hmm. really um, in in um, teaching that we attended last um, last spring here at CIIS. She called on us to really bring together religion and ecology, make them live together, and the and uh, one of the primary uh, teachings that she shared with us is this teaching of finding a way to orient to ground, mm -hmm. to find what really nurtures you, and then to let yourself be transformed by what is dangerous and, and un, un, you're not able to bargain with. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, that's very much been the, mm -hmm. the, 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 the um, theme that we wanted to talk about tonight. Thank you so much.
To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast.